0: n e t s u i t e dot com slash w t f. Lock the gate. <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. WTF? You're listening to it. You chose it. it didn't just happen to you welcome welcome to the show what is happening how's everybody doing how's work you okay how are the kids how's the wife how's the husband how's the partner the partner how's your doggy how's your cat oh my cat it's it's funny you should ask because um i think i told you that my cat was having a little bit of trouble uh peeing blood sorry good morning and uh, it was terrifying cuz the cat Lafonda is an old lady. She's an old lady. She's 14 years old and she's getting becoming more fragile. Not unlike human old ladies, her skin th- feels a little thinner. She's a little lighter than she used to be. She doesn't always know what's happening. Uh Lafonda. And I know cats get older than Lafonda, but to take her to the vet is so devastating. It, it to to both of us really. I like, Let me tell you who's on the show real quick. Rachel Bloom is on the show. Rachel Bloom, crazy ex-girlfriend. And she's in a new movie that's uh, called Most Likely to Murder that her husband directed and stars another guy that I like, Adam Pally. But uh, she's here. We had a talk. And I guess I'll I'll warn you now and I'll warn you again as we get closer. There is a a, um, high level of Jew-ness happening at different points during this interview this is a a a jewy a bit jewy a bit jewy I, if you like a jewy we got a little jewy coming yeah it's not over the top east coast jewy but there's a nice jewy subtext it's nice it's okay you, you know it's a, it, it, what what i used to think Uh, was annoying about being Jewy, I believe has now become necessary. Uh, We have to put our uh, annoying voices out there. We have to fight the power with our Jewiness. Because uh, don't want to normalize those Nazis now, do you? Nah. No, you don't. Jew it up. Bring on the Jew. Jewish Vikings. Got an email from a guy who said it might be possible. We talked about that. When did we talk about that? A week or so ago, after I was up in uh, Oslo and Stockholm and with the Viking history. They got down there, man. They got down there into the rivers of Poland, apparently, and they were hanging out. And my brother's kind of tall. Until I get my jeans done, I'm going to go with, I got a little Jew Viking in me. Got some stocky Jew Viking in me. And I'm going to go, I'm not a boat guy. But uh, I got the other part. I got the, the land-bound Jew-Viking part. Anyways, what was I talking about? I do need to mention that our, our, our potter, our ceramicists, uh, uh, Brian Jones, has new cat mugs available starting today at noon. Uh, noon Eastern, 9 Pacific. And these mugs, these are the same mugs I give to my guests. I, you know, I've got to start giving them out again. I forget to get them in the new garage. Everything's discombobulated. I've, I have forgotten to give mugs to certain guests. I don't believe Josh Brolin got a mug. You haven't heard that one yet. I don't believe Melissa McCarthy got a mug. She's coming up Thursday, but don't tell them. Maybe I'll send them I give Mary Steenburgen. I don't know if she, I, Oh man, I got to get, I got to start giving the mugs out again, but they're available to you is my point, And they always sell out. So go get one for yourself. That's uh BrianRJones.com/slash/shop for the WTF custom mug jobs. Saw some guy on Twitter broke his. Sorry, pal. If I offer you a freebie publicly as a replacement, then that becomes a policy. I can't do it. But you can buy another one. And I'm look. I'm not making a fortune off of these. These are these are nice things for the people people like him they're they're a solid mug i saw yakov smirnov last night said he drinks from my mug every day and he looks at my face on the mug but he didn't say that with the greatest tone which is unusual for him but i think he's mad at me because of the intros i've been giving him lately do you need more on that do you need more on that i'm going to get back to lafonda i know where i'm at so lafonda so poor lafonda poor fragile old lady lafonda i come home from uh, Europe, and she's got... There's bloody pee around. So you got to take them in. She's got... I, oh, it's just so sad. And it, now they're not... They don't even have that much fight in them. So, like, it used to be a horrendous chore to get her in the box, but Sarah got, in her, got her in the box right away. But then I get to the vet, and she's just freaking out and just exhausts the poor cat. And they got to put her under just to get her x-rayed and give her tests and everything. So I didn't know what it was. And you don't know... You don't know, you know, they're getting old and you, you start just, you just sort of start to wait that any kind of illness could be the end of it at this age. So I left her there for a couple hours. I picked her up. They did all the tests and uh, we gave her the, the antibiotic and we didn't know if it would treat the what she had. She, so it turns out that she's got a UTI and the antibiotic that was already administered will we'll do it, will kill it. Her kidneys are good. Her liver is good. And everything's good. She's got a little bit of hip dysplasia and a, a little bit of fused vertebrae. Whatever that means. She's all right. Just got to get her fed and you know get her past the trauma of going to the fucking vet. Also, please uh, do whatever you can to support the causes that you believe in either through actual physical support or monetary support, whatever you got to do, whatever you think will help. Don't feel too powerless. I'm only saying this because I, I did some charitable contributing uh, that I do. I do once a year and uh, I can tell you who I donate money to, to try to fight the good fight. The ACLU gets a nice chunk of change from me. Uh, Planned Parenthood gets a nice chunk of change from me and the Carolina tiger rescue and my father. That's become a charity. No, I, I you know I don't want to say that. I don't want to make him feel shitty. I just gave him a little present because I got you know no matter what I say bad about him I owe him something right? Like he fed me, he got me shoes, got me a car. I don't think he knew he bought me that stuff, but my went through my mother. My mother was the front office, but um, yeah, the Carolina Tiger Rescue, they have they save c- large cats. It's down there. I went down there. So that's. I'm just reminding people, if you can't get in, if you can't go out and do, you know, you, and you can't afford to, to support, support. ACLU is out there in the trenches every day defending people who need defending and standing up for what's right constitutionally. And uh, obviously, Parenthood is, uh, is under attack in many states, um, which there is an agenda to deny women of their health care rights. So do that. And if you care about tigers or lynxes or cougars of all kinds and other large cats, jaguars. Jaguars. Jaguar. How do they say it in England? It always bothers me. Jaguar. That's what I say. But I think when I see the commercial for jaguars, it's like jaguar or something. Something weird. Maybe that's the right way to say it. What do I know? A little, jewiness, a little jewiness came out there. So it's setting it up. I'm easing you in to Rachel Bloom, who came over. I had to familiarize myself with her stuff. It all came, I, it, all, it all happened in a matter of days. Uh, I just took an intensive Rachel Bloom class. And we have things in common, and it was good. You'll see. There's a new magic, folks. There's a new magic to this space. It's different and I feel it and and there's something it's more pure. It's a little more pure for me. this space. Not as much clutter, not as much baggage, not as much dust or weight. it's it's clean. It's pure. These are the interviews that are happening here now in the new garage. In an undisclosed location. Rachel Bloom uh, has a new movie that she's in right now called Most Likely to Murder. I watched it. It's good. Uh, it's available on digital download and most on demand platforms. And of course, she's um, always in uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend. Okay. Your podcasts. Boom.
1: I have a pretty good sense of what to say, right? I mean, what am I preserving?
0: Right. There's nothing to
1: protect or preserve. Nothing. No. Well,
0: it's weird because I, you know, I get a a reputation as being that way too because I'm pretty candid on here. Yeah. But like, you know, and and then I started, I I started to learn that there are some things like. um, the one thing i learned is that you know maybe don't talk about other people there's that one <laughs> that's
1: my one that's my one barrier is is whenever i do Interviews, it's like, what can I share? I'll share anything about myself because right. that's me. Right. But other people, it's like, I gotta be really, really careful because I just don't want to hurt someone.
0: What's well, but also like, there's this weird thing where it's like, well, you know, I, other people are involved in this thing I'm talking about. Yeah. But but they they don't have a voice in it. If I bring it up, you, you know, yeah, they like
1: can't I, argue for themselves.
0: If I talk about a relationship or something. Yeah, And then they're like, uh, well, I'm glad you had that. That's your point of view. Where do I get to share mine? Oh, you don't. Right. I win.
1: You can just write an article for The rap or something.
0: I wrote a memoir, you know, about, uh, a lot about my second marriage, which was sort of a, a, a volatile relationship, but I was an asshole. I mean, I, that's sort of out there. Right. And I don't think anyone's getting sent home from work for being an asshole. Right. <laughs> yet.
1: Even though that's technically, we had a... We had a whole. I mean, every year we do a big HR meeting. I'm sure you do this with with here your. Here at show. the house,
0: yeah, I do it here. Yeah, at the just house. Here the <laughs> <house>. <laughs> Yeah, just yeah. Okay. I, I, I hire an independent HR company so to, just to talk to the yeah, cats. To talk to me and the cats, yeah.
1: Uh, we did. It's a thing with CBS, and they were saying that actually, if your boss is like a gratuitous asshole, that does count as workplace bullying. That California specifically workplace bullying, yeah, right. workplace bullying. Which I feel like if those laws had been a thing for many years most writers' rooms before, like, 2007 oh, man. would have gotten busted. My first writers' room was, like, an old-school
0: I've heard mean. stories. Yeah. Like, my the the writers' room for my show, like, I was in charge. Right. So, but and it was just me and four dudes. So like, it wasn't even a big writers' room. The, I mean, the biggest mistake was it wasn't very diversified and there were no women. It was just, you know, four dudes or five dudes looking at the walls. Waiting for something to happen. So
1: what is that? So let me ask you, because I did a conversation last night. We were talking about diversity and mm. representation. And and what I was thinking was the reason sometimes there are no women or people of color on a staff, it's like you hire people innocently, hire the people they know and the people who remind them of themselves, that it's kind of a tribalism thing. Would you say that's somewhat accurate?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think with me, because I didn't have that much money to staff and my showrunners, they, they were a team. So there Mm -hmm. were two, Mm -hmm. right? So that left me with like two or three positions to fill with guys who I thought understood me and and knew what was going on. It's an excuse, but some writers' rooms have like 10 people in them. And And if you have that kind of network money, you can really mix it up. But it was like the first season was just me, those two guys... And uh, one other guy in a writer's assistant.
1: Sure. So you want the people you know who are going to get your sensibility and yeah. get where you come from. And nine times out of ten, those people are going to be people who are like you. And But you know what? Like I,
0: you. I realize, though, I think that it, but I, I could have hired a woman. Sure. Or, a, a, and it would have been fine. You're writing television. And the she thing, could give that other sense to the other side of it.
1: That's the thing. I mean, that's what's hard is I was the only woman on my first writing what staff. Show, what
0: staff was that? It was,
1: this, it was a show called Alan Gregory. Oh, it was, yeah? It was a very short-lived a Fox comedy? animated show.
0: Oh, an animated show. Yeah,
1: and, um, and I will say the people running it were actually very, very nice. But I was the only girl, and I was the youngest, and there is something where, you know, if you're the only girl and you're a staff writer, yeah. sure, you're like the token woman's voice, but at the end of the day you're are you really gonna have like so it wasn't let's say it wasn't the creators it was yeah. someone else in the writer's room like pitched an innocent like kind of date rape joke right, right? right that happens in writer's rooms all the time that yeah. happens in stand-up comedy clubs all the time it's just easy comedy
0: date a- rape am- racist yeah exactly uh, it's just lowest anti-semitic comedy- well it's why like 16 jokes.
1: year olds tell dead baby jokes yeah it's just like yeah. it's the lowest sure it's the easiest form it's like a fart yeah Although farts are still yeah, yeah. fucking hilarious yeah So as the youngest person in the writer's room, am I really going to be like, um, excuse me, that's offensive. No, you don't want to come off as, and this is internalized misogyny, but you don't want to come off as like the crazy woman who's overbearing and can't take a joke. And so it's hard to be the token. You have to, I think if you're going to hire like the one person representing their gender or their race or even their orientation, they need to be high up because otherwise if they're a staff writer they're scared shitless. But, but, but
0: I mean, but the bigger question is: as a comic in that moment, the, it, it's not that you're not being paid to represent a gender. The real question is: is like, were you offended?
1: Yeah, you were. Yeah, you were offended. Yeah, but it's scary. I mean, I don't know. I was terrified on my first writing staff. My de- my default for many years was to walk into a room, apologize for being there, and assume I didn't belong there. Like, mm. and that's just also. I think partially a gender thing, but also partially a personality thing. I'm a chronic people pleaser. I'm I'm really like afraid of authority. And so yeah. I walked into my first writer's room thinking, I got hired off a of thirty rock spec. That's all I had. I mean, I had a mu- one music video out and a thirty rock spec. And so I was with seeing,
0: the Ray Bradbury music? Yeah. Video. That was
1: it. It was that and a speck of thirty rock. And I walked in being like, I'm and I was twenty three. Yeah. Thinking, Oh my god, I don't deserve to be here and then some of the people on the staff were even though they were technically staff writers, they actually had a lot more experience. It was the type of thing where they'd... Because, you know, you only get bumped up if you're on a show that gets ordered to a second season. So you can be a staff writer working on many different shows for many years if you're if you're on shows that keep getting canceled after the first season. Yeah, right. So some of those guys were the case, and it was a really <laughs> mean competitive room, and it was the type of thing where I already went in thinking, I don't deserve to be here, and then... You'd tell a shitty joke and they'd be like, oh, good job. Yeah. Good job. And I remember one day I walked in wearing a hat that I loved. It was just a beautiful knit hat. Oh, nice hat. Yeah. Oh, why are you wearing a hat? Yeah. Is it going to rain? Yeah.
0: You know, certain things used to really hurt my feelings. And, and uh, I think sometimes they still do, but I just kind of suck it up.
1: Like, what are the type of things that hurt your feelings? <sighs> well, I'm the scared? hat
0: thing would bother me. Yeah, right. Because but
1: it, but it, <laughs> it's but... calling out the, because some of the people in the room were improvisers and there's this thing in improv, call out the unusual thing. Yeah. And that's kind of where it comes from, is I'm going to be the straight man to this scene that is my life. But it's like, why is my hat unusual? Can't you just let me have a fucking hat?
0: I don't know. Like, even with the women I know in comedy, and with anybody in comedy, there is a certain amount of, like, um, kind of, uh, you know, ball busting that goes on.
1: There totally is. And I, and it's a really fine line. Between... Sure, but, but
0: it's different than a writer's room. I mean, you're it doing is. being in a sketch, being at UCB, or being at the comedy store, and hanging out, you know, backstage or whatever is different than you know the the pressure and the weight of going to work every day.
1: It's also context. My friends yeah. can we bust each other's balls all sure, the time. Right. I mean, my writing partners and I we are. Straight up mean to each other. Yeah, my my right. songwriting partners and I were mean to, each, but we're we love each other. It comes right. from a place of deep empathy and respect and love. Sure, that's way different than punching down then, then when you're deep a high, insecurity. And- deep insecurity, and I mean there's a <laughs> there's a brand of dude, yeah, and I'm going to yeah. generalize here, but there's a brand of dude who yeah. has learned to use comedy only as a weapon to assert their dominance over other people, and yeah. and that's not. I'm not a fan of that. I think comedy, I think comedy is a way to. Connect and enlighten. That's true. That's and so true. it can be mean, but yeah. it has to come from a place of are those, wanting, yeah are,
0: are those people uh, professional comedians? Yes. That you're talking about? Uh, yeah. Huh.
1: And in fact, this is the one podcast I've done where they actually might be listening. Everything else has been like, you know, the feminist, blah, blah, blah. They're not listening to that. But they're listening to this.
0: Oh, so this is a stand up that asserts his dominance to. Uh, these are
1: to, these are various. There's a couple people. people um,
0: on stage. Like, I, I'm just trying to. These di- are.
1: Im-, I'm talking more about the oh. people I'm thinking of are more improv sketch comedians oh, okay. who are just very good joke writers. I mean, the type of person I've noticed that does oh, that's this different. Is, so
0: that's their yeah. that's their they got a that's their swagger. Yeah. Oh, a
1: thousand, a thousand right, percent. Right. And I and I always get the sense a little bit with some of them, especially now that I'm more confident in who I am, that when a woman does it, yeah. there's a little bit of like, wait, this is what I do to get pussy. Yeah, right. You're a woman. I'm supposed to get you with my jokes, but the pussy's being funny and I don't want to like... I I can't fuck funny like you know there's
0: that pussy's gonna eat my dick
1: yes a hundred percent it all goes back to castration (laughs) fears which is actually a big part of a feminist film theory that it all stems from guys yeah there's this writer Laura Mulvey I went to school for uh I went to NYU where Uh we read a lot of essays on I don't know sometimes well let's go let's start let's
0: let's get wait so I'll make note of where we ended up here, <laughs> which is castration fear, which I instinctively figured out on my own, and you were going to explain to me, yeah, sure, uh, w- why it's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, well, what, so so let's go back though, because like you know, you do have experience in, in sketch and performance, but I don't, I don't know anything about you. I, I've I've I had to immerse myself, oh, uh, in you uh, over the last week or so.
1: Well, I'm a, so. First of all, this is a really big deal for me to be on here. You know, this is comics. See, this is like you've made it if you're if you're on what the fuck. That's crazy. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. And I always in my head, when I was listening to this, when I was still like a waitress, I'd be like, who would I put on blast Uh if I went on what the fuck? And now I'm not in that place. What does
0: that mean? Put on blast?
1: I don't know. Like who would I? Who who Who? would I? What would I be like? Honest about? (laughs) I mean, the thing is, I'm a very angry person. But I'm also terrified of being seen as crazy or angry. And so I have a lot of anger that I keep inside, which is why I love scenes where I get to play angry because it's very cathartic.
0: So but well that I mean I we have things in common. You're queerly a Jew.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh
0: you, you know and I you know I speak that. Yeah, but uh, I heard you, your
1: interview with Mel Brooks. It was great.
0: <laughs> I became Jewish. You you're, where I you right started talking got, like an old Jew. Your
1: nose got bigger. Yeah, everything you, got
0: big. Yeah, everything got <laughs> everything got Jewish. You
1: literally by the end of the interview. I was like what are what? you? I can't be <laughs> baby. Baby. Thinking this. like this? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I it was do great. that. I do that. I, I just it, with it with it, any sort of charismatic uh, personality that I keep talking to, eventually I, I start to morph. Yeah, that, that's you know, my, nice. My boundaries. You know, I don't know. It, it, it's a means of. I think it's an innate uh, compulsion to, com- to to connect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know, I can speak that language. I can do this. What do you? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> So, what now, you grew up in California?
1: Yeah, Manhattan Beach.
0: Manhattan Beach, which is, okay, so it's half Manhattan. Because you have a, you know, I always uh, associate um, Jews starting, did, did your family originate in New York?
1: Uh, yeah, my grandpa was Brooklyn, Yeah, and my father's from Boston.
0: Mm. And
1: my parents lived their lives like East Boston Coast Jews. Jews. Oh, yeah, Boston Jews. All the, and there
0: are, you, that's a unique bunch, yes. the Boston Jews. Yes, yes. Yeah,
1: the family uh, apparently I found out was everyone was driven out of Boston by my my father's mother, who just sounds like an overall bitch. And so they That's all what, were they like, went
0: to L.A. They went. They to were New like, York.
1: I'm peacing out. I'm going to Philly. <laughs> so all of the Boston Blooms are gone because slowly my grandmother. Um, I think drove people out is what I'm starting to hear. But
0: it doesn't sound like they went too far to where they couldn't have to... If they had to visit, they could take the train.
1: Uh, Well, if they had to visit, you know, when she dies, pick up the things that she left behind.
0: (laughs) She was a monster?
1: Uh, I mean, she died when I was four. Yeah, I will say there's a song on our show called Where's the Bathroom, which is a song that the woman who plays my mother sings. And she's an amalgamation of various Jewish mothers. And my dad Uh, called me and said... That song is literally what my mother said when she saw my first apartment. Yeah, I, he's like, I think that you must have been there somehow in 1971 when
0: yeah. my mother walked in. What, what, and what would she say? What'd she say? She called
1: it a hovel. This place is direct. Sure. This place is garbage. What are you doing? Yeah, what are you doing with your life?
0: Yeah. A hovel. A hovel. They're hovel. horrible. They can be really horrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't have a monster Jewish mother or grandmother, but I've, I've met them. I know who they are.
1: Aren't you half? Are you full? Full. Oh, I thought you were half. You were up no. in Arizona, right?
0: New Mexico. New Mexico. But both my folks are from Jersey. Right. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm full Jew.
1: So you had a very nice mother.
0: No, I mean she was nuts in her own way, selfish. It's a unique, there, you know, different. It's a, a spectrum of selfishness is usually what you're dealing with. Sure. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's abusive, sometimes it's negligent, sometimes it's uh, overbearing, but it usually whatever it is, it's all about them.
1: Well, I think that you're getting to some. I'm very. I've become very annoyed, and this is not just with Jews. It's Italians. It's yeah. everyone. When culture is used to explain away cruelty or mental illness, yes, where it's like, oh, I'm what? Well, I'm a Jewish mother. Right. Yeah. That's I'm gonna. Why... I'm gonna harp at you. No, you're being actually really mean right now. Abusive. And don't use yeah. your fucking culture sure. to excuse that, even yeah. though it's rooted in survival. Sure. I've noticed that because there's a main character on our show is Filipino. And yeah. so we've talked a lot about the those similarities between Filipinos and Jews and Asian families and Jewish families. And it's an Im- immigrant culture thing. It's you come to this country. I, yeah. I came to this country for what? Right. For you to go into stand-up?
0: Right, right. No. To live in a hovel? To live
1: in a hovel? Right. I, we, we escaped the Cossacks for this? Right.
0: And the premium that the yeah that Jews used to put on education. Yeah. You know, it, it's a, I guess it's a tradition of having... Living outside of other cultures because of the religion and being, you know, not allowed to do certain things because of that, uh, there was always this premium put on, on, you know, becoming the best, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, you can show up for, you know, where they can't argue with you. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. It's, well, it it relates back to if you're the one woman at like a, you know, doing a set, you're doing it on behalf of all women if you bomb there's someone that audience who's gonna go women aren't funny because of that one person you won't have a person say men aren't funny because that one person bombed there's something about being anyone who's in the minority whatever you call minority is is always you're representing your
0: right culture but the other side of that is it your responsibility no Right, but I, it
1: like it or not, with ignorant people, it sometimes is. Are
0: you I, getting anything like that? I mean, how does how does uh, my crazy ex girlfriend? How does crazy ex
1: girlfriend? There's no my.
0: Oh yeah, crazy ex girlfriend. <laughs>
1: the only reason I correct people what is because my makes it possessive, and yeah. it makes it from a male gaze point of view. I dig it. Yeah,
0: crazy ex girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be. I don't want to be uh, accused of male gazing. Um, you
1: can't help it.
0: Of course not. Yeah, it's no. men are
1: it's the way that your brains are programmed. Men and women are different. It's okay.
0: Oh really? Have you used that as a topic?
1: Yeah. Well, I okay. I've talked about this in other <laughs> places, but I'm curious as to what you think. I heard a story on NPR a couple of years ago uh-huh. of a person who was transitioning. Uh, they they were a woman and they were taking hormones to become a man. Yeah. They get on the subway. They started testosterone. They get on the New York subway. Suddenly, they see this person sees a hot Is this woman. A parable. Oh, I, I know, he- right? It sounds like and the rabbi put three more goats in the <laughs> right, house. Yeah. They get on the subway and they start they see attractive women and suddenly get the urge to like fuck this woman. And and he starts the transitioning the person who's transitioning to a man. Yeah, and they and he realizes, oh, is this what testosterone does? And I talked to a lot of my friends about this, including my husband, and they were all to varying degrees like, yeah. Like when I walk into a room and I see a hot guy. Maybe I'll register it, but it's not this involuntary. Whoa! But yeah. apparently, um,
0: but what does what makes you do that? Is it uh, talking to somebody, or like, I mean, hot yeah. is very you know subjective.
1: Hot's right? really subjective. I think for me, I have to get a vibe. I have to catch a vibe. Yeah, okay. I got to go, I gotta catch that vibe, right. but it's not purely physical. It's why right. women don't wolf whistle at men on the street. That's not how our brains work. But right. the way that. It seems that a lot of men's brains work is you, my husband described it where it's like you'll see a hot woman and in the back of his head. It's like a little voice just goes, pussy. Yeah. Pussy. And it's involuntary. But another friend described it as you'll get an involuntary like camera flash of like, boom, uh, picture me fucking her in the shower. And then it goes away. You tell in, me. In I'm l- not-
0: unless you, you know, continue the scene. Unless you continue the scene. Unless you're actually fucking
1: her in the shower.
0: No, I mean, like those things come and you you have a certain amount of control over how long they go on for. But I mean, but I I think on some level, the pussy thing is right. But it's also, but it's the same thing that goes on where, where it's like there's the other one is food.
1: Right. So I get that when I see I'm a big fan of roller coasters. Yeah. And I've realized it's the same thing when I see a video of a roller coaster on TV or if we're driving past an amusement park. Yeah. The way I treat roller coasters is the way I think my husband
0: thinks thinks about women. Well, I think there's something very primal about it and very, you know, biological about it. And, you know, being civilized people who uh, have self-awareness, you know, you kind of keep that shit in check. But I think that it's undeniable, but not in any way an excuse that, you know, that we're put here on some level to fuck yeah of course. <laughs> and, and and that's you know always the, that part of the brain is always sort of like are we fucking when are we fucking is that gonna happen soon <laughs> Where is it? i think you it's know. how
1: we make more people
0: yeah it is
1: it's how we survive it and makes I, sense and
0: i haven't made any more people and that I, and you I, know of but that no i i think I, they would have come out by now okay i think they i, I would have met them
1: there's still time
0: sure oh for me to have people yeah, yeah there is I, yeah i know i know i don't know it, it seems like um just thinking about it, yeah. I, I'm worried about the kid. Like <laughs> I'm worried now. Like you know, why don't you have children? Uh, they, he's going to go to school by himself. So like I don't, uh, you know, I. I what the,
1: do you? What do you mean? He's going to go to school by himself?
0: That eventually you have to watch this thing. And, and like oh, I,
1: I thought you meant like for whatever reason, your kid is going to be like alone in a school.
0: He is going to be alone. like, I mean, he's got to get no
1: other students. Oh,
0: no, no. It's just like the worry thing. I'm sure. an anxious person. I have like severe uh, uh, panic and anxiety issues. It's very
1: paternal to automatically think that, that you're not like, oh, kid responsibility. You're like, oh, no, I'm going to worry about him. It's very sweet, actually.
0: Yeah, but like, but it gets overbearing. Like, sure. you know, there's a, you know, worrying is not love more like uh, no uh, no i I, because i'm like because it's sort of like how am i going to deal with if something what what am i going to do if something happens to that kid how am i going to handle that oh
1: it it all goes back to your feet like a fear of in a way like god forbid that kid should die your life is over it's something you won't be able to recover
0: right because i'm making up a kid Right. right so it's he's got no hair, hair color I don't know his name but it's just the idea is sort of his name's Alex okay and- but the idea is that like I'm responsible mm-hmm. and, and so much is out of my control mm-hmm. you know what if something happens mm-hmm. and it happens the
1: same you- thing with cats though
0: I know and it's terrible.
1: I think that's probably why you feel it a little bit. It's terrible. Right?
0: Well, I, it's it's just I uh, I don't know. It, it's just too much anxiety. I, mean, I like kids and I, you know, I I am I'm, I'm always, you know, I like to communicate with them. Yeah. And I like to see them, but I, I just the day to day of it. But people seem to lock into it. Are you having them?
1: We think I work it's, it's a it's a debate, it's a conversation. I mean, I, I emotionally want them.
0: What is that, emotionally versus what?
1: Well, it's logistics, it's um, a lot of emotional things on my end and my husband's end. And I mean, it's hard, having kids is is fucking hard. I mean, I work 16 hours a day, for half the year I work 16 hours a day. I couldn't have a kid right now. Right. I mean, if I did, I would never see them and Mm. they would grow to resent me. So there is a certain sacrifice and give and take. Plus there's the wild card of if I wanna have a kid, I don't know what I'm gonna be like when I'm pregnant. I don't know if I'm going to be able to function or if I'm going to be super sick. I don't know what my postpartum is going to be like. It's literally- So
0: we're, we're exactly the same. Yours yeah. is just a little more complicated.
1: Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> it's my body.
0: Yeah, but like- I fear,
1: the, I fear the bad post. My mom had very bad postpartum, and well, she was very sick, and I, I'm-
0: Postpartum that lasted what your entire childhood? I guess
1: so that she's still going through. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, it was hard for her because she had bad postpartum, and then her brother was killed in a car accident, so oh I think God. a lot of those things compounded. But I, I've heard horror stories from other people. From about postpartum and and it's just the way it fucks with your body and i have a whole thing where my, i mean getting it i mean it's getting into it, it's kind of boring but i have this whole thing where like i can't be on a birth control with estrogen because it makes my tits hurt half the month mm. and i have a really sensitive system anyway so that's a whole other thing where what's it going to do to my body what's going to do to my mind the kid just being pregnant
0: yeah it's scary yeah, no, it's, I I can I can I can hear that. I mean, I I, I believe you. Yeah. But I mean, the, but you know and I know that some people just do it.
1: Well, just most people a lot of people do it. Yeah,
0: like a lot.
1: Like most people do it.
0: But my I guess my what I'm sensing is that whatever emotional whatever desire you have to have them is being overridden either uh, for um, uh, emotional reasons or practical reasons, whatever the reasons are, the case is being made against having them.
1: The case is well, look. Logically, it makes no sense for anyone to have a kid. I think that's the ultimate thing. In what way? It costs money. You're but raising. Your these are practical. It is isn't. Just, yeah. I'm just saying, purely practical. Okay. If you take out the emotion, right, it doesn't make logistical sense to suddenly spend all this money to raise this person. It doesn't
0: come I don't think it costs much more than a pet till they're like eleven.
1: Okay, but <laughs> also effort. Yeah. Because you're up at all hours of the night you give something unconditional well this gets into emotion but you give something unconditional love that they may never it's always conditional return it always I becomes know. a condition um, i know obviously yeah <laughs> i think i do i mean it's just and i and i yeah. i want it the weird thing is i say i'm afraid of being pregnant i actually want to be pregnant yeah. i love feeling the, the, I love feeling my friend's pregnant bellies I love Oh, I love it I love looking at ultrasound pictures I love feeling where the baby is yeah. I've always been as a kid I was an only child and I was yeah. a weird only child I would um, I would like pretend I was pregnant when I yeah. was like four or five and then I would take a shit and be like I'm giving birth yeah
0: you wanted a brother maybe
1: I did. I and I had or imaginary. Si- I had yeah. imaginary siblings. Really? That I would fight with. So you were only child. I was an only child, and my imaginary siblings were Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. Yeah. Wednesday Adams, Uh huh. And Pippi Longstocking.
0: Oh, Pippi! That would be fun.
1: Yeah, but I would fight with them.
0: Uh huh. You'd fight with your. And then I'd make my siblings. parents.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd be like, Pippi's being mean, and I'd make my parents come in and and mediate. I would go, uh, Pippi, uh, stop. Uh. <sighs> they, they would
0: do that for yeah, you. They would. They would play along. Because yeah. they why didn't they have other kids? You don't know. They just wanted one, or
1: uh, I, I, th- I honestly think my mom had a really tough pregnancy. Uh-huh. My dad was forty-two when I was born. Oh wow! I just know he got a vasectomy pretty quickly.
0: After oh yeah, he got born. it done.
1: He got that shit done, so now, he can come in my mom.
0: Yeah, for not worry about not worry it. about it. Look at me coming in you um all right so let's go let's 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 try to get up to i because i, I want to talk about how uh, it happened for you because i think that you and and not unlike you and me as well were part of a new media thing yeah that uh that get, that i think made a lot of other people think oh i could just do it that way yes <laughs> yeah so you grew up in manhattan beach and you went to high school here. Yeah. And you did high school theater. Yeah. I had you did?
1: A, yeah, I a very good theater department. And it was weird growing up in Manhattan Beach because I grew up with, I was an anxious kid who had, I was obsessed with musical theater and thought about death, and but was also very outgoing and was raised by neurotic Jews who, you know, always talked about skin cancer. And so I was, and plus I had <laughs> Skin like, cancer? Yeah. Do you I get your wanna... skin checked?
0: I do. I had a basal cell on my nose. Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, they had to cut it. It was a real procedure. It's not that's not a deadly one. No, but it's like it's a thing. And I thought like uh, you just get it removed like a mole, but no, (laughs) they've made a hole in my face.
1: Yeah, to get out the I don't even see anything.
0: Well, if I really pointed out to you, you would see it. Like they they like they do a mo's procedure where they keep taking out a thing. They they cut a a little bit out and then they go test it. Then they if they didn't get it all, they cut again. But you're just sitting there in the waiting room with gauze stuck into a cauterized hole oh, that's they numbed out. Do it in the
1: same day, so yeah. you're sitting there. Oh, that's each time, disgusting. each time.
0: And like they went three or four times, and then I'm like, "Can I see what's going on?" And the doctor's like, "We don't usually, we don't recommend that you look at it at this point in time because it's numb." Yeah. And I go look in a mirror. I'm like, I said, I gotta see what you're doing. There's like this nickel-sized hole.
1: Oh. On the Ooh. side of
0: my fucking nose, and I'm like, "Can you fix that?" Holy shit! And then, of course, the doctor with their cute fucking sense of humor is like, "I, I think so. Ugh. You think so? Anyway, so the so you're saying you were brought up by neurotic Jews, full of panic, and you had anxiety problems and morose <laughs> yes. thoughts. Yes,
1: doctor. Yes.
0: Well, you've processed this. Oh, a
1: thousand percent! It just sounded like I felt like I was suddenly in a very good therapy session.
0: You're in a pretty good therapy pretty session. Pretty good. I'm not a professional, but uh,
1: after doing all these interviews, I think you might as well be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I've gotten emails from psychologists. Do they, they like the show? They think it's helpful. Yeah. Some uh-huh. of them like, uh, well, they think that I do a good job. But I mean, but I'm not. I'm not a clinical. You know. I. I mean. I'm just. I'm spitballing. Of course. I'm spitballing that you're a little fucked up. <laughs> That would be accurate.
1: Yes. See, accurate. there
0: you go, all fixed. Um, but like the morose thoughts though, because I I, I remember what I was going to ask you. I have this. I always have this theory about only children, but none none of them have have uh, validated it for me. Did you Did you fear for your uh, Did you fear Was there extra pressure because you were the only one?
1: <sighs> yes and no. I mean, I was so. Um, and this this is more relating to anything artistic. Yeah. I was so encouraged and adored with artsy stuff. Oh, good! That it gave me confidence, but then it became my identity, which right. happens a lot with musical theater people too. In general, your talent, your art, your craft becomes in the community yourself, too, right? Your self worth,
0: yeah. Now, were your parents creative artsy types?
1: My dad, no. My dad's a lawyer who loves health law. Health like the way we love comedy. He he's obsessed with it. Yeah. And my mom, my mom was a music major and is a pianist and sang in choirs. So yes. And then my grandpa was an amateur, my grandpa sold technical manuals, but on the side he directed and wrote and acted in community theater. Uh, and yeah. he was the one, we have all these videos where yeah. he's teaching me all these old songs and he uh, pushes me, Do it again, do it yeah,
0: again, do yeah, it again. Yeah.
1: <laughs> But it was all no one professional. Grandpa. Yeah, my mom's dad, who was from Brooklyn,
0: oh, who I spent a lot of time with. That's so sweet. Yeah, and he he lived a long time.
1: He he lived to be eighty. He died when I was in college.
0: Oh, so you had a full life with him? I did. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I had that with a with a couple of my grandparents.
1: Yeah, but it was complicated. You know, he. I mean, as it is with all Jews, I think it was it was lovely, but also he had a really bad temper i mean i heard that when he directed community theater he would make his actors cry he would just scream at them if they were a minute late
0: but not with you
1: Ah, uh, sometimes uh, yeah. sometimes he would he would yell at me if i wasn't wearing shoes in the house
0: yeah well, my, my grandfather was had had a heart attack by the time i really got to know him already so he was on librium which was pre pre paxil pre it was a sort of like a. Just kind of kept him level a little. Oh yeah. So like he was more cranky than. than my mother claims that he was just a, a raging lunatic. But yeah. by the time I met him, it was sort of like, why are we? uh where, Why do we? Are we leaving? You know, it wasn't. And he was just very placated.
1: I think it was the same with my. I mean, I think my grandpa not my hit my mom, but he hit my uncles. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's what you did in the fifties to I guess. discipline kids. You See, hit them you're with belts and you, shit.
0: Now you're doing what you're. What am I doing? You're, you're, you're yeah, That's
1: what you did in the 50s. Listen, it was a different time. <laughs> I have one uncle who uh, lives in Northern California and just completely isolated himself.
0: Oh, from, he ran away from, the from the family. From, there's yeah. always one of those.
1: Yeah, there's always, there's always one of those who's just like, I'm out, peace out.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah, gone. Yeah. They're, and they probably don't even identify as Jewish anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, he's into, um, He's a mystic.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. He, Jewish mystic. He's a
1: Jewish mystic. Sure. It's a thing. He <laughs> makes um, metal geometric objects <laughs> and speaks to spirits through them. That's that's literally his religion.
0: Yeah, but it's not Jewish. No, it's not Jewish. It's just yeah. a, a guy who has a strange compulsion. That... Well, a it's his calling. It? It's, it, did, I think there is a system. No, oh. no,
1: no, no. Oh, okay. There are other people. There's like a guru... And there are other people, I mean, but would you, I mean, if you weren't Jewish or say you had no religion, I mean, Judaism's weird in that you can be an atheist like I am and sure. still call yourself cultural
0: identity Jewish, yeah. right? Yeah. Right.
1: It's a religion and a race and a culture, I guess. Um, I
0: don't know if it's a race. Is it? I've had well, that question before. Have thing, you thought about it? Well,
1: I've done 23andMe and Ancestry.com and it says my race is 98% Ashkenazi Jewish. I got
0: to do that. But be prepared
1: to be underwhelmed. You're just going to be 100% Jewish. There's not going to be anything interesting.
0: No? No. My brother's kind of tall. I come from Russian, Polish. That's what Yeah, I'm. that's me too. So, okay. So you're... Jew. A Jew and musical theater. So th- you're doing that very young? Yeah. That's what you're telling me?
1: Yeah, yeah. And then I went to school. Uh, I wanted to be on Broadway. And so I majored in musical theater at NYU and quickly got dis- disenchanted with it.
0: But how... how what, how big of a problem was your mental hip problems?
1: I learned to be a very good show pony. So I think people didn't know what was going on. That's like a, you know, it's like I'm a, I'm a, yeah. I learned you know, to cover it. And.
0: You can turn that shit on. I can see it on the show. I oh. can see it on stage. Oh, yeah. You're just yeah. one of those people that, yeah. like, if there's a, if, hey, if everyone's sad in a circle, you're going to like, wait. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah. When I, when I'm. We're
0: mourning here.
1: When I, yeah. <laughs> he had a great life. <laughs> It's fine. He was sixteen. So let's sing a song. Let's sing a song. Come on, come on. Put on company. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you do is you power through, and in some ways, it's good because cognitive behavioral therapy is all about deciding, you know, what anxious thoughts do you right? Engage but aren't in. you? But
0: you're sort of backloading that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was all going to come to a head.
0: But no, I, I'm I'm just listening to you because I did the same thing. Like you know, I've uh, uh, you know, I just plowed along, and because. I had a very sort of uh, not aggressive personality, but like I, my parents were not; they were just sort of like, "Oh, that kid's okay. He's going to be okay. That one's going to be okay." Yeah. I wasn't really okay, but you know, I ended up doing comedy. I ended up like pushing ahead, and a lot of it was because I didn't buckle. You know, like that. There's something about that persistence. I guess you could call it creativity, or what I don't know what it is, but I think what what you're talking about that I like is that. It is cognitive because it's survival, you know. Because you know, either you're gonna, but didn't you fucking like? I'm now I'm thinking about myself and didn't you fucking spin out and lose your fucking mind and end up in the goddamn uh, college uh, health center and breathing (laughs) into a bag or what?
1: I mean, it was slow. I think I've always been so afraid and aware of keeping up appearances. Yeah. Even at my lowest, I always wanted to seem. Normal. Uh-huh. So there were definitely, I mean, moments in college where I I spun out. And that also has to do with romantic stuff. And um, I mean...
0: But you, you never thought you were dying or any of that shit?
1: No, I never thought I was dying. And I never, I've never i never really had earnest thoughts of
0: suicide. Su- of sure, su- right, right. Suicide. No, no, suicide. No, just...
1: And I think that's... I don't know what that is. I mean, I have a friend who... Um, one of my good friends since he was a kid has had thoughts of suicide. Yeah. I mean, he would open up the drawer yeah. in his parents' house and like look at the knives and but his but he he uh, on the outside had this great life and I'm and not say my life isn't great, yeah. but I'm kind of the opposite that there's something underneath all the stuff that's really sunny and happy and positive and there's this the idea of just ending it. I'm like, "Oh, but it'll get better." despite right. everything and I don't know where it comes from or what that is
0: like I used to do a bit about that but like I think about suicide all the time it's not because I uh, want to kill myself it just makes me feel better knowing that I can if I have to
1: <laughs> sure
0: so it's a it's, a st- it's actually a cognitive stress release, relief
1: do you think that's to soothe yourself like well if nothing else I can kill I myself I used to
0: yeah oh fuck yeah Oh wow. Yeah. Oh my god. It was like such a go-to. I think that's what's there in place of the uh the 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 father of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That 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 what's in like my inability to suspend my disbelief enough to turn anything over to God is just sort of like oh, I could always just make myself die. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I think that is the hole that most people are like, well, you know, it's a spiritual void, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean For many years, my spiritual void was filled with this kind of, not Jewish mysticism, but as much as like, I would say like privileged, privileged white person, like, well, the universe cares about me. So anything that, you know, goes wrong happens for a reason. And you tell yourself, like, it all happens for a reason. And when I'd be shitty to other people or something bad would happen, I'd tell myself, well, this was meant to happen. And then I remember... The yeah. moment
0: in college,
1: I remember the moment in college where I was, I'd already been reading Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion, so I was yeah. kind of primed for it. I went, wait, what if it's not meant to, what, just for a second, what if there's no fate? What if I'm just, I happen to exist? Yeah. And when I fuck up, I just fuck up. Yeah. And when i mean to when I'm, not mean, I'm never mean, but like when I'm inconsiderate to people, I'm inconsiderate. And when I'm irresponsible, I'm just irresponsible. And it's actually to the detriment of myself, and I can learn from it. But at the end of the day, it was a mistake. And that was the moment I became a practical atheist and I became a better person in that one moment. So my spirit, my spirituality, uh, it, it happened to me in this moment, kind of the way other people describe finding Jesus, losing Jesus or losing whatever that, that, that cushion was that allowed me to not be the best version of myself.
0: The self-centered rationalizing universe thing.
1: That allowed me to also be lazy.
0: Well, that whole thing like nothing happens, it's not supposed to happen is all relative to your perception of things. And that's where everybody gets sort of fucked up with their ego and narcissism is that all those kind of little trinkets of uh, of uh, spiritual awareness are really relative to your perception. Y-
1: yes. Also, it's it comes from a place of uh, for me, it came from a place of privilege because, OK, so I'm a fucking like upper middle class you know, white person in no, America right, right, and is right, majoring right, in theater right, with right, no student loans. Right. Of course I can tell myself that everything that's meant to happen happens for a reason that my life will be okay. Cause nine times out of 10, my life is going to turn out. Okay. But it's so fucking selfish of me to like, think that was someone, I don't know, living in a fucking destitute area. Who's dying of dysentery. Like oh, yeah. everything happens for a reason. What a privileged fucking thing to think about.
0: Sure. Well, they, the other version of that is God has a plan. And, what's uh, your plan, man? Yeah, I know.
1: Show me your five step. Show me your what's your five year plan, God.
0: I don't even have time to think about
1: it. Yeah, you know, like weird. I, that's
0: what that you know the the idea of God and all that. When people were like, God, you, you know, I don't even think about it anymore. So yeah. So you So. <laughs> Atheism is practical It makes you do, take responsibility. Yeah, and right. that's why
1: I, call, I say I'm a practical atheist right. and a theoretical agnostic, that m- the way that I live my life day to day is taking full responsibility for my actions and being a nice person just to be a nice person. It doesn't relate to what governs the universe. To me, right. the two things are completely separate. Yeah. So I would never claim, we know very little about the universe, there might be a teenage alien running this computer simulation that we're all living in but that has nothing to do with how i live my life
0: I can't, that whole simulation. that shit's crazy I right do it no i don't do it what do you know it's, it's yeah it's crazy i mean what am i gonna waste my time with that i can't break it down that much to to believe that no. do, do i want to spend an hour with a person selling me on that idea that this is all a hallucination or we're just part of some simulation do i want to be convinced of that so i could do what what happens then nothing
1: that's no, why no. It's, all, it's all theoretical. I,
0: I, no, but it adds anxiety. Because if, if I get to a point where I'm like, "Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, well now what? I think but it's yeah. just
1: interesting. I mean, it doesn't it? actually change anything. I'm still I'm still existing and I'm still feeling. I think it's, I don't know. It okay. doesn't freak all me right. out
0: anymore. I'm not freaked out by it. I just don't have the time for it. I, my brain won't do that well, anymore. Well, you're busy. I guess. But I mean, I think about things, but just not that.
1: Well, maybe you also subconsciously know that, or consciously that, if you start thinking about it, you're going to spin. Well, out.
0: No, but I'm, I'm more concerned about you know, w- you know what what is happening to our brains that are being sort of maneuvered by uh, um, stimulus that that diminishes our ability to think for ourselves, use our memory, and and you know maintain our attention span. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm more concerned with my relationship with my phone. Dude, it's all to- I discuss
1: with my psychiatrist. <laughs> the phone, no, the phone shit. He's on me about the phone shit, the social media shit. It's it's, it's especially, I don't know if you, but I run, I don't have ADHD per se, but I, I have ADHD tendencies. I might have slight ADHD and it's, and it, I feel the phone sending dopamine to my brain and just getting me oh, like yeah, addicted and, yeah. and making me dumb. Yeah
0: well it's a but it's your engagement with it the phone is like it's like you know looking at good comments and then bad comments it's a speedball my thing now is just like compulsively reading news sure what are we doing we're talking about your life so but what do what do you have what do you what 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 is your fucking problem
1: oh uh i have um i guess what's my diagnosis I have low grade depression with varying anxiety. Yeah, I don't know. I I have like low grade depression with varying anxiety and um and like a you know, anxious and OCD tendencies with with a little um, undercurrent of ADHD.
0: I don't know about the ADHD, but I have all the other ones. Yeah, it used to be worse. The exact same thing. Minor OCD, that helps comfort people.
1: So, OCD, (laughs) the way I have it, is different from the like, I'm going to wash my hands. Right. How do do you have it? My OCD is all looping thoughts, and it's all, it always ends in the fear that the OCD or the compulsive thought itself is going to ruin my life that the thought itself is going to attack. So the, example. Okay, perfect example. All right, we're pitching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. The night before we pitch, I don't sleep at all. Yeah, of course. And it becomes this thing of, why aren't you going to sleep, you fucking bitch? You know, go to sleep, go to sleep. And yeah. I wake up, that whole week I have horrible insomnia. And insomnia makes anything you have a lot worse. Um, I don't then have it anymore,
0: I know you mean. It's, it's so bad. Right, so then
1: the next time, so then I get over that, but the next time I have insomnia, I happen to be in New York, it reminds me, of the time that I had insomnia, and it sends me to a bad place of worrying if I'm gonna have bad insomnia again.
0: All right, like seeing the sunrise kind of shit. Like, yeah. you know, like, I don't wanna fucking. I can't do I, this. I have well, to-
1: also, then obsession with, you can't control when you go to sleep. Sleep is the most fundamental thing, but when you actually think about it, it's, the sleep is the act of letting go. It's the act of not controlling anything, which is crazy mm-hmm. if you are a, someone who needs to control something like me, and so, I began to just spiral about sleep and then it began to kind of haunt my every waking moment where I wasn't thinking about even even when I wasn't even worrying about the night I I would begin I would I was fearing the night. Um. Because oh you my, wouldn't be
0: able to go to sleep. Because
1: I, I, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be alone with my thoughts. And this is before I started meditating and shit. I'm going to be alone with my thoughts. I'm going to be alone with the fact that I, I can't get to sleep. It's going to be terrible. And it just began to kind of haunt the day until it was this overall feeling of dread. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm always going to feel this feeling. When is this feeling going to go away? And then in the middle of it, my boyfriend proposed in the middle of this oh, yeah. thing that I was going through. And I thought... Oh my god, whenever I think of my boyfriend now, I'm always going to think about this bad feeling yeah. that I had during this thing and it's going to ruin and it's going to ruin my relationship and it's going to attack everything and it just was this it becomes this I trying to outthink it. the anxiety. And that's that's the form it it takes and still takes is this is this feeling of it feels like there's this dark thing that if I let it take over, it's just going to ruin everything. Dread. Even though I know that's a hyperbolic thought but it feels like when i'm about to have a little anxiety spiral yeah like i it feels like i'm walking on the edge of a swimming pool mm. and i'm all and i'm fine but if i even dip my toe into the thought yeah if i even form the question yeah. I, i'm done
0: i know i know i have that it's dread yeah dread
1: it's like existential dread it's, that leads into my fear of failure
0: right right but that's like that's just a manifestation of the anxiety like you know yeah. like yeah like it's a, yeah, it, and it's not, and it takes you out of the present. It makes you live in your brain, and I don't you know. Good for your boyfriend, who's now your husband, to to be able to 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 sort of it must he must ground you somehow? Because yeah. I mean, if I mean, I have similar things where I've been I just with age, somehow or another, I don't like. I don't. I I, I know myself well enough to where I'm like, I'm not going to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, because like, I've gone through hypochondria. I've gone through, you know, whatever the fuck it is. Where you know, I do get panic, but usually there's some foundation for it mm-hmm. you know in real life mm-hmm. and it, I can spin out like that but like it's not hypo- as hypothetical as it used to be so what happened though the, when you went in to pitch it were you I was fine oh.
1: because I'm a show pony huh. it's always fine that's the thing is it's
0: you got to lean on that I guess you're learning how to do that
1: oh yeah I mean it's it's always fine it's never yeah it's never gonna be what I'm fearing because I've spent 31 years doing this right exactly so it, that that's and it's so it's a matter of outsmarting it but not outsmarting but it do
0: you, do you ever think it's part of your process Have you gone down that road <sighs> what uh, i what would i do without this like there's got to be no because i like, don't
1: feel like myself when it's happening there's a but different there's
0: something comforting about it if you've been doing it all your life
1: no it feels like i'm trying to outsmart it and solve it oh it, that's what it feels like. It feels like I'm trying to solve something. It's, I'm trying to solve the unsolvable. I'm asking questions that have no answers.
0: I know, but that that particular pattern. It's
1: how my mind works. And and, and it definitely relates to being creative. I think it's the dark side of my creativity.
0: But you don't but don't you ever think like, oh, I don't know. It sounds like your parents are okay. Why are you such a control freak?
1: Well, <laughs> remember when we were saying, Let's let, I mean, here's the thing. My, let's just say there are, there are, I can talk about my experiences, but when it comes to certain things, in general with my family, I, it, there are certain people I don't
0: want to upset. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, how bad was it? <laughs> <laughs> Everything's great, (laughs) show pony. (laughs) We're gonna sing a song now.
1: (laughs) Everything is fine.
0: So, but okay. So you go to Tish, yeah, and that's that's the hard school, yeah. And you you, and you didn't you didn't love it there? Why? What happened?
1: Well, when you major in musical theater, first of all, everyone who majors in musical theater were, were all the leads of their high school plays. So you get there, and it's a bunch of other like silverback gorillas who were like, well, I was Svanteen. Now I was Svanteen. And also <laughs> musical theater kids, young musical theater kids are kind of the worst yeah. because they're all like comparing voices. Everything is like, <laughs> who's the best actor? Who's the best dancer? And it's <laughs> just like, it's terrible. And and it was also that I was immediately faced with people who were more talented than I was. Oh. And that's terrifying when your whole self- For work, real
0: though, or just, I mean- uh, yeah. Do you look back on it and you think that? Or do you look back on it and they just had more together? I mean, I mean, you're pretty talented. I mean, what would determine that?
1: But it's like a binary technique thing of this person's voice literally sounds better.
0: Oh, okay. Right. And this well, person that...
1: has more control over their instrument, whatever
0: that Right, right. Whatever okay, I get, means. I get it. And
1: so there was a part of me that felt like I didn't fit in, mm-hmm. that I was kind of tired of people's personalities. And also then we started to... You st- when you start to study musical theater, some of it is brilliant. When musical theater is good, it's the best thing in the world. When musical theater is bad, it's the worst thing in the world. Mm. And I just began to, I don't know, I just, something didn't feel right. And so I auditioned for the school sketch comedy group and I got on and I very quickly like fell in love with, with that. sketch comedy. I mean, it was right. the quickest I've ever fallen in love with anything. I immediately, I remember writing my first, one of my first sketches on a lunch break mm-hmm. at musical theater school, like on the floor in my ballet shoes. It's it's all I suddenly wanted to do. I became obsessed and I think part of it was because it was a new skill. I didn't have my ego wrapped up in it. So I was okay to be on a group with a bunch of people who were more talented than I was cuz my ego wasn't wrapped up in being the best comedian. So right. I was finally for the first time free to try my best at something. Oh yeah. Fail and be okay with that. Yeah. And so in but in musical theater school I started to subconsciously not try First of all, because I wasn't getting a lot of sleep. I mean, I've had sleep problems since I was a little kid that I've only rec- that I only in the past couple of years recently dealt with. So I was getting five hours of sleep a night, and so I was exhausted and kind of wigged out. But also, I wasn't trying because if I then wasn't good at a song, I could say to myself, "Well, I could." I mean, if I wanted to, I uh, yeah, done, I used to, yeah, know? I used
0: to do a joke about that, so, like sort of like I don't prepare, uh, you know, because like. Um, if if it goes well and you don't prepare, you're a fucking genius. If it doesn't go well, you can just be like, "No, I didn't prepare."
1: Exactly. <laughs> and it's so great when you don't prepare and it goes well, Because yeah. then you start to tell yourself, "Well, that's just my process." Yeah, right. right. I don't memorize my lines. That's just yeah. my process. Maybe. And
0: then, but the, the problem with that is, like, you keep doing that, and you know, you keep having success. At some point, you realize, like, oh, I'm the only one who thinks this is good. Yeah. Like, it's a, like <laughs> there are people who are like she's not really that good, and you're like, but I'm so honest. Yeah. You know,
1: like, <laughs> Oh yeah, I took an on-camera acting class and I was doing the thing where where I hadn't prepared much and it was just coming from impulse and yeah. then they and then I watched it and it was garbage. <laughs> Absolute trash and I was like, "Oh, I need to start preparing." Shit.
0: <laughs> but you were in it though, right? You felt like you were nailing it when you were doing it?
1: Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cuz yeah.
1: I was like, "Oh, it feels so true and so pure."
0: <laughs> so what if
1: I'm not getting the lines? Doesn't matter.
0: That's a feeling. That's an important hit to take. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Alright, so okay, so you like the improv and you do it and would did you drop out? Are you finished? No, you finished.
1: No, I finished. Yeah, of um and yeah. then
0: You're not gonna quit.
1: No. no, no, no. I mean it was a weird thing where I was on the sketch group and this is a whole other thing, but I I was the one of the only girls on the sketch group and I was really young. I was a very young eighteen, like I hadn't drank or smoked or had mm. sex and the older guys who were my directors started flirting with me and hitting on me as it happens, and I got Kind of unwittingly involved in this like love triangle, uh, that then because they were young too, I was like nineteen and they were twenty. The improv group people, yeah, the sketch group people. uh, They, I was supposed to be the director of the group, and because I got in this love triangle and fell in love with one of them, but the other one also loved me, and then like I dumped one of them, but continued to see the other. I got removed as director from my college sketch comedy group. So this was a by them, yeah. So it was like a defining moment for me because. I think that the way I learned comedy for the first year or two was just doing, almost doing an impression of what those guys were doing. And when this whole thing happened, I said, oh, okay, so the mentors I thought who I trusted who then wanted to fuck me and, and now they've completely turned on me, I'm just going to do my own thing. And that's when I started to want to combine musical theater and comedy. It was only right. after that happened and I kind of rejected them as my mentors
0: Oh, and then you, that's when you started to move towards the videos.
1: The videos came a couple of years later. But you used to,
0: well, what, how did you start to fuse them without them? Did you start going to perform other places? What, were yeah, just a I, mental thing.
1: I took a musical theater writing class. Yeah, and oh, that's good. And then this was after graduating. I wanted to have a show running at UCB because that was that's the status symbol. If you have a show running at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater.
0: In the basement of the supermarket? Yeah,
1: you're done. You're in. You're in. You <laughs> yeah. might as well be famous. I right, mean, that's sure. that's really how, you, how I saw it. And I was doing a sketch. I was working out the sketch show, and one of the sketches in it was um, a song about the movie Space Jam. Yeah. And I wrote it with my friend, and I played it for... My boyfriend, who's now my husband, I've been with my husband for ten years. Yeah, I played it for my husband, and he went, "You should just be doing this for the show." This well, is that's way interesting, more though. You,
0: need- you must have been one of the only people. I, I don't know, but I don't. You know, you're you're one of the kids. I don't, I'm old. I mean, but it seems that what you do, I, I've not really seen it. In like, I mean, were there other people doing musical comedy sketch shit?
1: No. No. And it felt so obvious to me because it seemed like there was an obvious there was a gap in musical theater when I tried to find a comedy audition song. It was just these lame, lame songs, especially for women, either old ones or just like songs that were funny adjacent. Well, I think that also
0: like, you know, uh, until Glee, it wasn't particularly popular anymore.
1: No, but, I mean, I didn't know that. And when you're in the musical theater community, it's always popular. <laughs> I mean, Glee, Glee's all... First of all, Glee's all covers, so that... No, but I mean, by, of- but just,
0: you know, cultural resonance oh, outside yeah. of Broadway. Oh, yeah, It yeah. just wasn't happening. No. Right.
1: No, and so that's why I'm, I'm going for... I mean, even now with, with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, it's still... It's a cult show.
0: Oh, in terms of who the people who love it? Yeah.
1: Like, when people love it, they love it, and... But there are still a bunch of people who hear it's a musical and won't watch it. And okay, hope they let's not
0: get there yet. So, okay, so he he says Do you, you should only be doing this?
1: He's, not only, but he said for this sketch show, this is way more unique yeah. than just doing sketches. Right. So then I I made my first musical sketch show and I just felt it click. I At fell, UCB? Yeah, and I felt fell in love with it and I thought, okay, I want to be my own kind of one-stop shop comedy. I want to be my, I want to write my own shit and star in my own shit and I want that to be, I want to be my own one person sketch group. Yeah. So I'd seen people doing internet sketches and I thought, okay, what can I do? And I had a song that I'd written in college that I didn't know what to do with called Fuck Me Ray Bradbury. It was when I was thinking of sketches to do and a song popped into my head and I said, oh, that could actually make a really great first sketch as Mm -hmm. a music video. And so I made it for $2,000 and not because you don't set out to make a viral video. That doesn't make any sense. No, you can't. I made a video that I thought would be a great comedy calling card, and it went super viral and got me representation.
0: That, that was 2010.
1: 2010, yeah.
0: Yeah, because I started this in 2009. Yeah. And But it's interesting that it, even then, though, I mean, it went viral and that you know brought you attention. But they, that was like we started, even though YouTube had been around a bit and podcasting had been around a bit, it was just there was this moment... Yeah, where you could break out of it. Now, of course, you have people that are specifically YouTube or only podcasts or whatever. But there was a bit of a moment where you could break and you 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 set that standard in a way. So like hundreds of young people because of you are like, you just got to put the video up.
1: Well, and the cool thing (laughs) and and the thing was the thing that set me apart, I think, is because we were just coming out of. So, the landlord funnier die sketch happened in I want to say two thousand and seven, maybe two thousand and six, and it kind of had this grainy home video yeah. quality to it, and so most sketches at that time were that. yeah, I had seen other people use great cinematography, and right. there was the cinematographer in New York, Paul Rondeau, who was his one stop shop right. he had all his own equipment
0: yeah
1: and so, when I wanted to do a music video, I thought what if we, what if I make it look good like some of these other videos that I've seen So I think that when I released that music video. It was also unique in that it looked
0: great. Yeah, it looks great. And yeah. it looks
1: professional. Yeah. And that's just because I got a doesn't great- It doesn't take
0: much to do that, right? That's no. what people, don't, That's what that always gets me about podcasting. It's like, you just need a good mic, man. Yeah. Don't get the fucking snowball and sit it in the middle, whatever.
1: But even now, I mean, the do cameras- on, Yeah,
0: even on the phone, right?
1: Well, now, I mean, the phones yeah. are better than- mm. We have a Canon 7D, the phone, mm. my husband's new phone is better.
0: So, so that and that's history. So you got representation, and
1: that's history. And
0: you wrote a spec script, but it it didn't like it took uh, Crazy Ex Girlfriend to really put the whole vision together. Well, it was kind
1: of a slow burn because I was a working. So after I got hired for my first gig, um, writing for which I'm eternally grateful, by the way, I was kvetching about it earlier, but yeah, I'm eternally grateful for that. I kept writing for TV. I wrote for Robot Chicken. You had Seth on here. He's the fucking best, and. I just kept writing for TV and various award shows, but then I was also, I did another UCB show yeah. of- Here. Uh, yeah. And I kept doing music videos that I was paying money that I was paying for out of what I earned as a TV writer. Right. And so it was those videos that this woman, Aline Brosh McKenna saw five years ago at this point. And- she is this big deal screenwriter. She wrote The Devil Wears Prada. Oh,
0: I like and, that movie. Yeah.
1: And she called me in for a general meeting at CBS, and she said, I want to write a musical TV show with you. And I'd already pitched-
0: She found you?
1: A thousand percent. Yeah. You for don't... the video
0: so, Yeah, again.
1: And no one could have, it wasn't my rep sending me around, because no one had really, I was doing the musical yeah. thing, and they knew it was good, but you can't- I'd pitch two musical TV shows. No one gave a shit. And and
0: you were were doing relatively low-profile writing jobs. Yeah. So you guys put this show together. She finds you, and you you do... And she
1: had the idea for a movie called Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Yeah. And we thought that would be a great show because she was saying that all of my videos were... There, there was always this moment of sadness they were all very mm-hmm. they were out there but they were very emotional and so yeah that idea really worked and we developed it together and, and
0: you had emotional sadness and emotional menace and then you get a great funny character I,
1: actually it's very true yeah. it's dead on emotional sadness and emotional menace
0: hmm hmm so hot Dennis the emotional so menace
1: is less less of a trickster but he's more insidious
0: uh-huh yeah so and that and then the rest is like, you know, you did it's doing great. You're doing what, one more season? One more season, we're on the final and season. And you won a golden globe and a critic's choice and another one?
1: T- a television critics association. Have it's you been great. to that one?
0: Yeah, I went I, yeah, I did go to that one. And I like the sag awards. I that's the it.
1: one that's the that's the golden goose I can't get.
0: Oh, I I just liked being there the most. I, I I you know because like I'd interviewed a lot of the people, and now I was there as an actor, and I felt like I was part of a community. It was nice. And Francis McDormand came up to me and told me, "I love you on that show." Oh, that's like, so cool. And I'm like, oh, I kind of won.
1: That's that's <laughs> fucking awesome. I, I, I won. Though moments like that are where you really win. I mean, yeah. the the awards are wonderful, but the first person who emailed me after I won the Golden Globe was Carol Burnett.
0: Oh my god! That was my win. That was my golden glow. Exactly. Like
1: that done. Yeah. That's all I need.
0: That's great. And uh, you know, I watch the show and I like it. I you know, it's like you know, I because I'm the kind of person I am, I would probably categorize it as a guilty pleasure. (laughs)
1: Sure. uh Huh? (laughs) Well, dig into that. Why?
0: Because like I'd like to think that like I don't know if this show's really for me, but I enjoy it. Uh huh. So interesting.
1: uh... Why would the show not be for you? Because
0: you know you're singing. <laughs>
1: it's funny because we get in because you're, I assume you've watched a couple episodes of season one. Season three is all about, we get way more into mental illness and I have a suicide attempt and oh. my character's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder.
0: You don't have that, do you?
1: No, I don't have borderline. Mm. But I have, I have, Oof. I know, I have intimate knowledge of, I know people with it. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's, it's rough. It's really interesting. That's why right. I
0: could see that from the ones I've watched that yeah. that would be where it would go. But you you didn't have that you didn't have that arc set up early on, did you?
1: We knew something was going on. The interesting thing about Borderline is it's a heightened it, it's 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 basically someone with no emotional skin. It's someone who always has these. It feels like they have third degree burns. They're so hypersensitive, and so I have aspects of that. We all do, mm. uh, and it's stuff that we do just heightened which which is what borderline is so we always knew she had heightened aspects of stuff that i'd had and other people had had
0: but also truly incapable of real emotional connection yeah and very black and white thinking yes and and manipulative horror show
1: yes yeah and the split and the splitting i've started to rewatch a little of season one and i i'm was actually surprised there. we're like oh oh she's ill yeah. Oh, she's very ill. And then, you know, there's that character <laughs> who keeps, wa- who keeps wants to. Pilot? I know, right? Yeah. There's a character who keeps, you know, wanting to fuck her. This character, Greg. I'm like, yeah. I, dude, dude. And it's later revealed, spoiler alert, he's an alcoholic. And in season two, he goes through like a program. I guess and- what? Well, there's
0: no reason I should, you know, I, yeah, it, I, I forget because, like, even the show I'm on, you know, Glow, that there's a lot of heavy shit going on. But because there's wrestling, you don't process the same way. And because there's music, you're not processing because, like, like, if I really think about those the first few episodes, where you're basically, you know, just sexually abusing that guy. Yep. That like it's like oh this is, <laughs> yeah, it's horrible. But oh she's singing
1: and there's Ooh. an and there's a sheen over it. Now here's a question I would pose to you, not to get controversial, is mm. if you see both theoretically. Glow and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is things that you would call guilty pleasures, right? There are things that you theoretically no, I, enjoy. I, I
0: mean, don't. I mean, I, I, I think I was just being. yeah no, was, no, no I did, sure. I put much thought into. But it. I yeah.
1: wonder if there's a little bit of that. That is because it's shows created by and starring women. I, I and I am not saying that it's hmm. that it's you, but I think that men see female content. Hmm. even if it's on a deep subconscious level, as Fluffy. But I wonder generally about- I know, I
0: think that's a good question because like, the, I talk to a lot of dudes about GLOW and they're like, I wasn't going to watch it.
1: Yeah, why? And
0: then- Why, man? Because of exactly. that. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's not, we didn't just crack a code.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh, we've got it. If, 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 Sometimes if, men don't like women. Yeah. <laughs> but what is, but why-
0: you no, know, I just, I just think it's a relatability thing. Sure. That you know, I, I, don't think it's. I'm sure there's levels of it that might be insidious, but I think a lot of it sort of like it's not for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that might just be encultured, and I don't even think it's misogynistic.
1: But the labeling, and, and I'm not saying this is necessarily, you, but the sometimes content that has women in it yeah. and is created by women and seems sure. quote unquote female is labeled as fluff, and you see. Oh, I didn't
0: think that. Yeah. And but 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 you okay, see I hear that. You. Yeah.
1: You and you see that in every kind of aspect of art things that take on things that are that's true. My, for women it's true my girlfriend's
0: a painter and she you know she gets mislabeled like that yep it, you know that, that that it's sort of it's lighter it's this, yeah and it just it, you know it's drives And it's just crazy. because
1: it's not for the mainstream gaze i mean we did or the
0: market or it's the not mar- like they're determining it i mean the market itself the people that make those decisions are, yeah. are acting out of you know I, either you know it's a, a principle or whatever, or they believe the market is this way or that way. But it's not always about like the audience. You know, there's people making those decisions. Sure. You know, but nine I'm times out of ten, 10 those, people are, those people those people are male. Sure. Right. Right. But
1: but the interesting thing, I mean, you see, we did it with with um can I entertainment. Interrupt you some more, yeah, right please it? No, do it. I'm <laughs> Tell me why I'm wrong. But for years, we've done it with. Uh, yeah. Entertainment that we see is oh well that's for you know black people
0: right now and you. and
1: the way that you see like oh well mm. stuff that was on UPN or BET or Tyler Perry well that's that's fluff like it's in the same way people sometimes think of female
0: I guess so it's weird I never noticed that because I always think like it it's either like you know maybe it's not for me but I don't think it's fluff or it's for kids Uh uh-huh it's either not for me it's either for kids or it's like that seems to be a show that other people would enjoy who live that life
1: I think that's one way to look at it but I think there is also a labeling of anything that isn't the mainstream story yeah is slight is less legitimate. It's less legitimate of a story and it's a niche product. All right. And well, everything's
0: a niche now, so it's hard sh- to make. Well,
1: exactly, things. and that's why it's great and that's why, you know, peak TV is so great. I yeah. mean, we're that's what I'm really feeling is breaking out of what's, you know, legitimate what mm. what isn't. I mean, I think that everyone I was at the uh, dinner for I was at the Vanity Fair dinner for the Oscars. Big shot. Oh, I know, right? And the only time people stopped talking, when Francis McDormand won, was talking about um, inclusion writers, but when Jordan Peele won for Get Out, and when Get Out was maybe gonna win. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Because even a couple years ago, that movie wouldn't have been seen as legitimately, let alone that it was conceived by a comedian, which comedies are always seen as less legitimate, and Get Out's not a comedy, but that's pretty when you think about something like the idea of things not being as legitimate because they're not about a king learning not to stutter, a yeah. white king learning not to stutter. Oh, no, it's a,
0: not a great movie. What? It wasn't a great
1: movie. I actually really love that movie. It's
0: nice.
1: nice. <laughs> I actually really love that movie. But when I saw that movie, I went, well, that's a prototypical Oscar movie. Sure. And I think that those lines are starting to blur and that includes content created by many women voices. for women. Yeah. Exactly. And that's it's refreshing. Good, but I but that's why I I take I take umbrage with the term guilty pleasure. Now, in the case you're saying it, it makes sense because it's musicals. But I think that that sometimes is code for, um, seeing something meant for a specific group of people. It's like well, it's like legitimate. you said
0: like uh, your uh, inverted, not inverted misogyny, but internalized you, and, misogyny. Well, I I think that there, it's a version of that. You know that like they can't, and it's also a version. Uh, it, it, some of it might just have to be with posturing do you you know like you know because i i know you know many sort of evolved people that uh you know don't necessarily want to cop to liking journey you you know the the band sure so like i i think some of it just has to do with not having the balls or the to 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 support something like that
1: Uh, uh uh-huh like i love the band fun i know a lot of people who are like oh
0: antonov's band yeah yeah
1: i love that band yeah, he's but a I kind know, of a
0: pop wizard. Yeah, guy. I
1: know some other people who are like they just generally don't like a pop sound. I, like,
0: I like Steel Train. I like his other band, the Grateful Dead band that he was in. <laughs> oh, for. Right. Yeah. No. I know exactly. I think some of it's that. But we don't have to solve this now. I think no, we should take the, no, I... take a few minutes. I hear your husband made a movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> nice segue. <Segway. laughs> yeah, my husband made a movie,
0: and I'm in it. And he co-wrote it. Yeah, and
1: it's great.
0: I, I, watched a, I watched about half. Uh-huh. Um, and I, it wasn't because it was bad. I just, you know, I didn't get the fucking screener till this morning for uh-huh. some reason. Don't don't go yelling at anybody. It's good that I only watched half because it is sort of a suspense. you yeah. know, It's a murder mystery. And uh, I can't spoil it because I don't fucking know what happened yet. Great. But I like Adam Pauly a lot, and you're great. Yeah. And it looked great. It was shot nicely. He directed it?
1: Yeah, he directed it and then co-wrote it with... Um with the guy who plays uh, Dwayne, who has that chin beard, oh, yeah, that's totally my husband's writing partner so and producing funny. It's partner.
0: A, oh, really? Yeah. But it, look, it it looks great, and I've seen a lot of indie movies that are comedies, and like that you're just sort of like, oh, these characters aren't going to hold up. Yeah. There's a problem with comedies of any kind where, you know, they they don't uh, consider the integrity of the character, and it gets diminished for the comedy. That's his, very yeah. yeah that, that's right. very
1: important to both me and that's something that my husband and I definitely connect on is not selling out emotion for a joke.
0: Yeah no, and it looked great. And uh, is that Billy Eichner for a minute? Yeah. For that he plays the rabbi. Yeah. And you have rabbis in your family?
1: I my cousin is a rabbi. Yes.
0: Progressive rabbi? Uh,
1: a progr- hes a progressive conservative rabbi. So conservative. whatever that means.
0: Right, right. So not reform. Uh, where's it a, where's a
1: yarmulke but supports gay marriage
0: yeah sort of uh, you know pr- yeah okay I got yeah it. but uh but yeah no i, I think it, it it looks great and uh Thank and you. I, I appreciated the 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 long uh the long sort of uh, pan shot at the beginning the what do you call it a tracking shot tracking
1: shot yeah, yeah I,
0: I know that he was like you know I'm gonna do this you could tell you could yeah, tell yeah. that he was like and this is the tracking yeah, shot. Yeah, this is like the opening tracking shot like like the Orson Welles Touch of Evil or and then the player did a riff on it. This is my riff on the tracking shot that really has nothing to do with the rest of the film.
1: Uh it and, and here's the thing I'll say about that it actually does the tracking shot comes back the idea of the tracking shot does come back visually oh, okay. it's called back at the end of the film
0: oh so, so bookends. so i get he's see it's pretty fucking you, great. you spoiled it i did i exactly you spoiled it for the film nerds spoiler gonna, alert you're gonna get into the tracking shot that talk.
1: opening image is going to come back in the closing i liked image. it
0: yeah it, it's funny and like i think adam is funny i think he's like got a. have seen him in other things i've seen him in baina's movies
1: yeah, so he used to be writing partners with my husband and Doug, who's in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah, and the, uh, the three of them were a sketch writing team called Chubby Skinny Kids.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: And now Pally's kind of gotten, he's has this acting career, and so they wrote this part for him.
0: Yeah, he's, like he's I feel like I've seen him grow up or something. Like.
1: Yeah, and he's a really, the thing is, he kind of has this like a, you know, he... He has this irreverent persona. He just did that thing at the Shorty Awards. We t- took down the Shorty Awards, which I thought was hilarious. But yeah. in person, he's he's also very, very kind and Jewish very guy? sweet. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jersey, maybe?
1: Uh Yeah, Jersey. Uh Lived in Sh- Jersey by way of Chicago, I oh, think. Yeah. And he has three kids, and he is married to his high school sweetheart.
0: That's wild. Yeah. And this takes place in Long Island? Is yeah. it Long Island? Yeah, yeah, my
1: husband's from Long Island.
0: Uh, but he's not a Jew, right?
1: Oh, super Jew. He was raised conservadox. He was raised to not celebrate Halloween. Really? Yeah, he went to yeshiva until he went to yeshiva until he was uh, fourteen. He would get. Well, in- look
0: at you, yeah. marrying a Jew.
1: Uh, I know it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible because we all descend from 350 people eight <laughs> years ago, eight eight years eight hundred yeah, years ago. Eight, I like eight
0: years. Eight, eight, eight years that ago. This one, those conspiracy theories. Yeah, eight years ago. It all happened eight years eight ago. Eight years in ago, the, the fossils in, came up in the simulation we're living. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that could have happened. Uh, we could have been created, been created five seconds ago okay. and we're all just playing oh. up with these memories. Oh, yeah, and he's falling asleep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, he was raised super Jew. I mean, you know, he, he and I both dated non-Jews and I don't know, we're both ashamed of it.
0: Wow. Shame.
1: I'm not shame. It's just much as like, oh, we're so progressive and cool. We could have done so much more instead of make his parents happy. Mm -hmm. his parents are thrilled and it's like of course everyone's
0: thrilled everyone's
1: thrilled the state of Israel's thrilled
0: Uh, really you don't know
1: no no we've been to Israel they're thrilled oh
0: they are yes they're hoping you're gonna come there send money
1: oh we went there right before uh, right before the election and everyone said to us this is weird because a lot of Israelis support Trump but they said and eh, well, maybe you come, maybe you come here and uh, you make TV and television. No, yeah. and we we're like, oh, we're pretty happy in yeah, America. And yeah. American, They go, eh, with Trump coming, you may have to come here. They were almost psyched for another Holocaust. It was very weird.
0: <laughs> you might have to come. Here. You that's, might have to so come that's here. the new pitch. It's not like we're we're always here for all Jews. It's like
1: guess what? Guess what? You, it's coming. coming. <laughs> in Hebrew, I think the show is called Haiksitamitarefet, <laughs> which is crazy ex girlfriend. But I think it literally means like insane person i used to date
0: oh and they like it in israel
1: i think so jews mm. yeah jews in general seem to like it
0: okay good well then i'm glad you're making them happy that's no that's no small task
1: oh i know
0: it was great talking to you it was great do you talking feel satisfied do we do what we needed to do
1: <laughs> for plugging the movie at the mm, end yeah yeah all right yeah
0: there you go a couple of jews sitting around talking okay Everybody okay with that? This is where the car the guitar is gonna be soon Boomer lives